Welcome. Good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're here. Good Sunday to come. Uh, we're starting a new series. It's always exciting. And this one is titled, Five Things God Uses to Grow Your Faith. And hopefully that's something that you're interested in. And part one today is kind of an overview called Big Faith. And then we'll take five weeks to talk about the five things. But we'll introduce those this morning. A um, little strange for me here this morning. My wife is sick and she's not here. I mean, that happens like once every three years or something. So um, <clears throat> pray for me. It's always a little weird when she's not here. I know she's supporting me and praying for me, and I know you folks do too, so uh, I appreciate that. So let's get started. <clears throat> I want you to use your imagination, and if you don't do that much, pretend you're a kid, because when you're a kid, we all use our imaginations, right? And it doesn't matter if you're a Jesus follower or not, or, uh, and you're buying into all the stuff we, we teach around here. Just want you to use your imagination for a minute. And here's what I want you to imagine. Three things. With absolute, complete, 100% confidence, you believe first there's a God. Right? You don't have to believe there's a God, but we're not pretending. There is a God. All right? Got that. Secondly, that it's a personal God. It's not a God out there somewhere far, far away. You just kind of let things go. It's a personal God that's personally involved in this world and personally knows you, knows your name. That's the second thing we're going to match. Just pretend. Third thing is this, that, that God has a relationship with you and he promises to be with you uh, all the time. So, if we are 100% confident, have complete trust that there is a God, he's a personal God, and he's there uh, with me, how would your life be different? For example, when the bad things happen, and all, all of us have bad things happen, right? Some bad thing happens in your life, or maybe it's gone from bad to worse. You had complete confidence, absolute faith. There is a God, and He is there personally to help you. How would you approach that situation? What would your attitude be? Are, or you're facing a temptation, and we all have our weak areas, and, and this is maybe your weakest area, and you're facing this tremendous temptation, and you just don't think you can resist or not participate in whatever it might be. But with complete confidence, 100% confidence that God is there with me, say, I don't think I can resist this God, but with your help, maybe we can do it. Or what about when the good times? We all have good things happen to us. Maybe you get a promotion at work. Maybe you get a raise. Maybe you have a financial windfall. Hope you don't play the lottery, but, you know, maybe you got inherited something from someone. Uh, maybe somebody that's out, if you're single, somebody out of your league wants to have a relationship with you. That's a pretty cool thing, right? It's funny. Sometimes when the good things happen to us, we kind of push God to the side. But if you had 100% confidence in God in that situation, God... Hey, this is pretty cool. She called me or he called me, uh, but I don't want to get off track here. Uh, I'm trusting you to help me. So you would have no fear, right? You know how, you'd have no fear in your relationships with your spouse, with your kids. You'd have no fear about your health. Uh, you'd have no fear about uh, your finances. You'd have no fear about your job or, your, or, or work. You'd have absolutely no fear. Now, we've all met people like that, right? 
And I don't know about your reaction, but my reaction is this. Are you paying attention? Do you know what's going on? Do you know what's happening? It's like they're somewhat clueless. Now, we've all met people like this. And maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was your grandma. My wife talks about her grandmother this way. Maybe it's some other relative. Maybe it's just some friend. And uh, you want to give them information. You want to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Aren't you aware that, you know, you lost your job? Or aren't you aware that, you know, your spouse left you? Or aren't you aware uh, of this or that? And their response is kind of like, wow, I'm sorry this is upsetting your faith. Uh, Why don't we just pray about it? And you're thinking, ah, they don't get it. And they think in the exact opposite. In fact, they would probably say to you, you don't get it. Because I have complete confidence. There is a God. It's a personal God. And he's there with me to this situation. Now, even if that drives a little crazy, it's attractive, isn't it? I wish I could be like that. I would have complete faith. Well, the interesting thing, that's what God wants. That's God's heart desire for you and for me. Now, we go back and look in the Old Testament, go back and look at the beginning. And if you don't believe in the Adam and Eve thing and the Garden of Eden, that's fine. But most of us around here do. <clears throat> and you usually think about that story. We think, well, God told them not to eat the fruit, and they ate the fruit. Right? And that usually, they messed up, they disobeyed. But that really wasn't the issue. I believe the real issue was this. The thing that broke the relationship between God and man was man's refusal to trust God. Well, yeah, I know you told us not to eat this fruit, but I don't think you have your, our best interest at heart. There's something about that fruit that would be good for us, so we can't trust you, God. You've got some different agenda. Uh, you want to keep us kind of in the dark about this, so we can't trust you. So they ate the fruit. They disobeyed, but the reason they disobeyed was because they didn't trust God 100%. That's God's heart. God wants us to have complete trust in him and in that relationship. So even when we get to the New Testament, we think sometimes a lot of, you know, well, the Old Testament too, Ten Commandments, don't do this, don't do that. It's all about the don'ts and and behaving yourself and so forth. But that's not what it really is. What's it about? It's about do I really trust God? So since the relationship was broken for lack of trust, the relationship is reestablished with God through an act of trust. We say that's a that step of faith, cross, cross the line, become a Jesus follower, whatever. But it continues through acts of trust. Now, it's interesting. Back in the Old Testament, when, when God established the nation of Israel, it's actually in Egypt, uh, Jacob's descendants, he wanted them to first trust him. So he sends Moses, and then and he, they're slaves at this point, and he helps through Moses. God uses Moses to, to bring them out of slavery, give them a promised land, or lead them to a promised land that took them a lot while to get there, to, to help them trust him. Okay? I'm a God that I want you to trust, and then by your trust, you're going to teach the other nations about me, 
And so I'm going to lead you out of slavery. I'm going to set you free. And you're going to be able to worship me. And God proved himself. And the people began to trust him. And it's only after that, after the relationship was established, that God said, hey, I want to help you have a better life, better relationships. So that's when we have, quote, unquote, Ten Commandments or the laws. They weren't to establish the relationship. They were to make the relationship or their lives better. So the law didn't precede the relationship. The relationship preceded the law. So the trust is more important than the uh, obeying. So what's God after? What does God desire from you and I? Well, we would just simply title it great faith, great trust, great confidence. 100%, ideally. Even in our church logo, our motto, we're following Jesus, changing together. What does changing together mean? What's changing? Well, hopefully, spiritually, we're growing, right? And that means our faith is growing. So we could say it, following Jesus, growing together, or growing our faith together. Uh, that's what we're all about around here. <clears throat> now, the interesting, about, interesting about thing about trust and relationships is this. The more you trust, the more trust you have in a relationship, the better that relationship is. And those of you who are married can think back when you first got married and you weren't sure you could trust your spouse. Maybe it was with the, with the finances or some other decision or whatever. Now, you've been married as long as I have. My wife and I completely trust each other. I take care of the bills, for example. So she just trusts that that bill is going to get paid and nobody's going to foreclose on our house. But I've been doing it for 40 years. So we have the track record, so we complete trust. And I trust her with other responsibility. So as the trust grows, the relationship grows. It's not only in marriage, between parents and children. Um, you know... When your child, this happened to me when I was eight or nine years old. We weren't church people when we were kids, but for whatever reason, my mom, when my second brother was born, I'm eight years older than him, for some reason she wanted to have him quote-unquote christened, kind of what we're going to do Saturday, but we don't involve water in it. And uh, so this pastor invited, this is a Methodist church, he invited us to go to Sunday school. So my parents didn't go, but they dropped us off, three oldest kids, and then he'd come pick us up. Well, one day in October, my dad didn't come pick us up. But I trusted my dad, so I know there was some good reason why he didn't, wasn't there on time. So we're sitting on the steps of the church waiting for him. Well, what happened was when I get home is he had gone and got my relatives and they had a surprise birthday party for me because my birthday's in October. So I could trust him even though he didn't show up on time. And kids, you should be able to trust your parents even though maybe something happens and you're not aware of. In fact, this is in all relationships, right? I don't know who your best friend is, but your best friend, if I was to ask you, is probably the person you can trust the most, right? That's why they're your best friend. So trust and relationship go together. Not only here, this kind of relationship, but our relationship with God. And it boils down to, no matter where you are in your Jesus journey or not even cross the line yet, is do I believe this stuff? Right? That's what it boils down to. Do I really believe this stuff? Enough to trust. And consequently, trusting will lead to obeying. So we're going to look at 
two stories from Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 is right after the Sermon on the Mount that we've been talking about. And we're going to talk about it some more next week. So after Jesus finishes teaching the sermon, we're going to pick up the story right after that. And we're going to look at the faith of two uh, different men. So Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside from the teaching, uh, the sermon. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Now, lepers were supposed to keep themselves separate. So this was kind of out of the unord- uh, unusual, out of the ordinary that he's even there. And probably most of the people backed up because <laughs> uh, it's contagious disease. And here's what he says. If you are willing, speaking to Jesus, Lord, you can heal me and make me clean. Now, leprosy was incurable, right? <clears throat> but this guy said, I believe you can cure this. I don't know if you're willing, but I believe you can do it. So now it's in Jesus' corner, right? So what's Jesus do? He reached out and touched him. Now, how is leprosy contagious? By personal contact. Did Jesus need to touch him? This is pretty cool. He didn't need to touch him, but he was going to touch him because he knew he was going to heal him, right? And he wasn't going to get it. So I, and he said, I will. You believe I can? So I will. And he healed him. And instantly the leper, leprosy disappeared. He was completely dependent on Jesus to heal him. Just like you and I are completely dependent on Jesus to heal us spiritually, to establish, reestablish the relationship with God, or uh, for any other, other uh, blessings, good things that might happen to us. So that's the first incident. Uh, man demonstrated great faith and he was healed. We don't know anything about him except he was a leper. Now the second story is really fascinating. So we're going to spend a little more time on that. Beginning in verse 5. <clears throat> Jesus returned to Capernaum, so we don't know how long much time, but not a lot of time passed. And a Roman officer or a centurion came and pleaded with him. Now, let me kind of use your imagination here a little bit. These were the invaders. These were the ones that were in control, like the police state. They were the police, and they were dressed in their uniforms, and they were probably most of them bigger than the average Jewish person. And they had their, uh, like I said, their uniforms on, and probably had swords and so forth. And so this Roman officer who was, as a centurion, had a hundred men under him. I don't think he had all hundred men with him. He might have had a couple of sidekicks with him. He probably wasn't there by himself. Three or four guys were with him, and they are approaching Jesus. Again, this is the police state. They're the enemy. They're the bad guys. They're the ones that are forcing you to pay taxes you don't want to pay. They're the ones that can make you do anything they want to make you do. In fact, you may disappear and never be seen again. These were the Romans, the enemy. Approaches Jesus. Here's what he says. Lord, now he's, a, he, he's over a hundred guys, but he's addressing Jesus as a person of authority. He says, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Again, imagine the disciples there saying that. Well, I'm glad your servant's sick. In fact, I hope it's contagious and, and your family gets it and your, the other soldiers get it and then you all die. A painful death. Now, isn't that what you would think? The invading army? So that's what the, the information he, he, he gives Jesus. And Jesus responds, now depending on your translation, 
It either reads this way, I will come and heal him, or would you like me to come and heal him? Some translations have it as a question. It, uh, it works both ways. Now again, imagine the, the disciples saying, whoa, 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 this is the enemy. We're not going to help them, Jesus. Are we? In fact, uh, we're not very popular with the Jewish religious leaders to, right now, and if we were to help the enemy, it would make us less popular. We are, we are popular with the people, but even with the people, we're not going to be very pop, popular if we help the enemy. So he says, do you want me to come and heal him? No. The, 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 the Roman officer's response is, is amazing. He says this, <clears throat> Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. And I'm saying, the disciples are saying, you certainly aren't. Uh, you're heathens, you're pagans, you're our enemy. But just say the word. From where you are, right here. And my servant will be healed. Kind of long distance, wireless, whatever. You can transfer your power. You don't even have to be there. Now, where did this Roman officer get this idea? I don't think Jesus, we, we had no incident where Jesus did this, did this up until this time. We just saw him heal a guy, but he touched him. So where did this, where did this Roman soldier get this, this, this concept well, he tells us, which is pretty fascinating too. He says, I know this. I understand this. Because I am under authority of my superior officers. You know, I got a hundred guys under me, but I'm under somebody else. So I'm in a, in, a, in a chain of command. I have authority over the soldiers under me. I only need to say go, and they go, come, and they come. If I say to my slaves, do this, and they do that. So go get me some pizza, go wash my car, you know, uh, build me this. Uh, carry this, uh, jump up and down, doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Whatever I say, they do. I say jump, they say how high, all right? Now that's the authority I have, but Jesus, <laughs> you've got a different authority. You can command illness. And it does, whatever you say, go or come. Illness obeys you. Never questions. Why? Because there's this authority behind you just as there's a Roman authority behind me. See, this, we don't know this, but this officer. He might have been the smallest soldier of the hundred soldiers. He may have been made the dumbest of the hundred. He probably wasn't, but he's probably more intelligent. Uh, we don't think about him. Why? Did all the other hundred soldiers and the slaves obey him? Because they had the authority of the Roman Empire behind them. And you don't mess with that. And this guy is saying, okay, I got, I got this authority of Rome behind me, so everybody listens to me. But you got some kind of authority behind you that illness obeys you. So what's Jesus' response to this? Only time in Scripture we find this response from Jesus. Only time. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Now, people were amazed all the time at what Jesus did. This is the only time Jesus was amazed. How would you like to have been that person <laughs> that amazed Jesus? 
some, he recognized that there was some higher, greater power behind Jesus. Now, you got to remember, this is a Roman officer. Probably never been to the temple, knew nothing about the Bible, uh, Ten Commandments, none of that stuff. He, he may have been a pagan or he may have worshipped Zeus or some other Roman god. And this guy amazed Jesus. So I don't, I don't know all of you here this morning. I don't know how religious you are, how often you've been to church, how much of the Bible you know. And maybe it's a lot. But that's not what amazes Jesus. What makes God jump up and down? Big faith. Big trust. Big confidence. So the next question is, so what results in big faith? Can we put ourselves in a situation uh, he also insults everybody. He said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen this faith like this in all Israel. All you Jewish people that have only advantage of the temple and the New Te- Old Testament, etc., etc., etc. You don't have faith like this guy. So we're going to give you five things that grow faith. And these aren't a list that Jesus said, all right, these are the five things that grow your faith. And they're probably not all inclusive. We can make a list of ten probably. And some of you are going to connect with one or two more than others as we go through the list. And, uh, but our experience, reading Bible and personal experience with people that are Jesus followers and Jesus journey, these seem to be the five biggies that help grow our faith. So let's kind of preview them today and then we'll spend five weeks look, looking at them. <clears throat> First one is this, practical teaching. So you find somebody that's growing in their faith or has faith and growing in their faith. When they tell you the story, they tell you something about, well, you know, I didn't grow up in church, but somebody invited me to a Bible study. Or I didn't grow up in church, or I did grow up in church, and I left church, and then I came back to church, and I went to this church, and the guy up front was teaching the Bible, and it was practical biblical teaching. I can't remember anything I learned, you know, learned when I was a kid. It, wasn't helpful, wasn't practical. This, this Bible study or this preacher or this person on the radio, when they taught the Bible, it was practical. It, it made sense to me. It, it was helpful to me in my life. So that's one of the things that grows people's faith. Second thing is providential relationships. Most people, when they tell their faith story, they say, hey, you know, I was just kind of going along in my life, and then somebody at work invited me, or, you know, some friend, or somebody at school, or I just ran into this person, and just, or I, I casually, uh, we just connected. You know, God put them in my life, and I can look around at some of you, and I can remember the connection, the personal connection uh, that, that you had. It could have been with my wife, or it could have been somebody else around here. It could have been with me. Now, these aren't things you can say, you can plan, say, okay, you're going to be my friend. You don't do that. It's just something the way that God puts two people together. So one week we're going to talk about providential relationships growing our faith. Uh, another area we're going to talk about <clears throat> is private disciplines. 
Again, when people talk about their faith journey, somewhere along the line, somebody gave them a Bible or said, you know, you need to read a Bible and maybe gave you a devotional or something to help you with that reading the Bible. And they say, you need to, to pray, you need to talk to God. And you're thinking, well, the only experience I know about talking to God is God is great, God is good, thank me for this food type thing. Repeated prayers. No, 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 you can just talk to God. It challenges you to do that. Obviously, attend church can be, or, or worshiping, private worship. Uh, financial giving, fasting. There's all kinds of uh, personal disciplines. And uh, if you've been doing this for a while, uh, we've all had this experience where you're reading through the Bible, reading a story you've read a hundred times or heard a hundred times, and all of a sudden, (laughs) you see something different. Or you see something, hey, that's really helpful. Thank you, God. So private disciplines play a big part in growing our faith. Another area we're going to look at is Personal ministry. That's why we want all of you folks to be involved doing something, whether it's here at church, like helping with worship, children, cafe, whatever, cutting the grass, whatever, uh, out in the community, like the, the food bank or tap at this table or um, Micah's backpack or missions trips like Deep Creek and uh, some of us go up to Cleveland every year. Just do something. Because it grows your faith. And it's usually scary at first, right? First time you taught a children's class, pretty scary. Even though people are only this tall, you can be afraid of them, right? It's scary. You know what happens when you get in a scared, scary situation? You learn to pray your own prayers, don't you? God help me. How do I get myself into this? In fact, sometimes we feel overwhelmed. And being overwhelmed is not a bad thing. I was telling somebody recently, I have an impossible job. Would you, who would like to have my job? Anybody? It's, it would be overwhelming if I let it be. So what does it have to be? It has to be by faith, right? So whatever ministry you're involved in, we'll take a week and talk about how that grows our faith. That's a biggie. And lastly, providential circumstances. Now, these can be good circumstances. It can be bad circumstances. You know, you lost your job, you lost your spouse, somebody got sick, somebody died. Uh, Bad things happen. Or it can be good things. And one of the things we see a lot that is a good thing around here is you get married, maybe you're not even married, and you have a baby. And you're holding the baby and you think, after a while, it gets a little bit bigger. You think, uh, did you grow up in church? No, I didn't grow up in church either. Do you think, we, do you think this child, we ought to teach this child something about God? And so you show up here. And we're delighted you to do that. But the reason is because of that providential event that God gave you a life to take care of. One of the things that happens, especially with men, is around finances. And when a man gets to the place where he'll invest uh, Percentage-wise, not just throw a few bucks in in the offering plate. Uh, Percentage-wise or specifically to a specific ministry and then see what God does with that, that often is what God will use to grow a man's faith. Um, So this is not a list to do. You cannot say, hey, you're going to be my friend or I'm going to have a providential circumstance. (laughs) But these are things that you and I need to be aware of. And uh, some of these are things that we can place ourselves in those environments where these things can happen. And it'll, 
it will be preparation for when the bad things come. Because the bad things come, don't they? And it doesn't mean that it won't make it, it'll necessarily make it better, but it'll make it better for us to deal with that circumstances. So why build faith? I want to lead you through a prog- about four progressions of a, of a logic here as we finish up. First is this. <clears throat> Bible knowledge alone makes you arrogant. You know, I know some people that know the Bible better than I do. Uh, they can find things quicker. They know things I don't know. And maybe you've met some people like this. But often there are people you don't like. Isn't that strange? I call them Bible snobs. Because <laughs> they know that stuff and they think, you, especially me because I'm a pastor, you should know this stuff. And they're not very likable. So Bible knowledge alone. Bible knowledge is great. I wish I had more than I have. But alone, it makes you arrogant. And obedience alone makes you legalistic and judgmental. You all met people like that too, right? You follow all the rules. They do all the right things. Don't do the wrong things. Maybe they don't even have the internet in their house or they don't have cable TV or, you know, they don't go to the movies or they don't, you know, go to a party. Whatever it is. You know, they got all these things they do. But they're not very likable people either, are they? And they think because they do it, don't do it, and you do, they're better than you. And you, shame on you because you do those things. Obedience is great. It's good. But obedience alone makes you legalistic and judgmental. On the other hand, trust or faith or confidence, whatever word you want to use, makes you dependent, doesn't it? My wife is dependent on me paying the bills. If I don't do it, <laughs> bad things will happen, right? I'm dependent on her. But here's the really cool part. Dependency leads to intimacy. Isn't that what we all crave? Intimacy with each other, intimacy with God. The more I trust, the more I'm dependent, the greater the intimacy, the greater the relationship. So that's what God wants. And that's what really what you want. So let me end with this question. What are you and I growing? That's why, so, why we say it so often and we think it's so important for you to be involved in some kind of ministry. It's not just because we need people to teach kids, but we do. <laughs> it's because it grows your faith. And that's what God wants, and that's what you want, because then it grows the relationship, the intimacy. Why we want you all to be in small groups. It's scary. Sit down with some people you don't know and start sharing your life, but it grows your faith. Why do we want you to read the Bible? Just so you can know more stuff in the Bible? No, 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 no. And pray to God and give financially, even though obviously we need... Uh, money to, to run this place. But it's so your faith will grow and your intimacy with God will grow. The ironic thing was the folks that knew the most and were the most obedient in Jesus' day missed it. And I can hear Jesus saying, well, he did. He said, hey, all my fellow Jews, pay attention. This pagan Roman enemy gets it. Understand. 
He trusts. How about you? Peter, Andrew, James, John, Alan, you. So, that's the introduction. We're going to talk about those five things over the next five weeks. Hopefully you can join us because you have a desire to grow your faith, to make God jump up and down, for God to be amazed at you. And it's not through obedience, even though that's good, and it's not through Bible knowledge. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that Christianity is like no other religion. It's not about following the rules, even though the rules are good and they're for our best interest. It's not about proving ourselves to you. You've already proven yourself to us. The question is, will we trust you? (laughs) Will we trust you? Will we trust what you say? We trust what you say about relationships. We trust what you say about finances. We trust what you say about everything. When you say forgive our enemies, forgive everyone. Okay, God, you said it. I believe it. I do it. See, it's not a question of obedience. It's a question of trust. Does God know what's best? And if you're not a Jesus follower this morning, I had the pleasure, great pleasure to invite you to trust him. Step across that line. To trust you with your life and your eternity. That Jesus was God. He he lived a perfect life. He suffered and died and then rose from the dead. Conquered death. Paid your sin debt in mind. You can be reconnected. You can reestablish a personal relationship and develop intimacy with the God of the universe. That's the invitation. And the only thing you have to do, it's a gift, the only thing you have to do is believe it or trust that it's true. You don't have to understand anything else. This Roman centurion didn't understand anything about the Bible or God, but he was willing to believe. Would you take that step this morning? God, I thank you for those folks that are struggling with that right now. There's a tension in their life. I really believe this stuff. Help them to believe enough just to step across the line. And then the trust can grow. That's my prayer for each of us. That our trust would grow. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.